Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Continuing to look at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the challenging part for many of us is that that we've been in church for maybe quite a few years, quite a few decades, and this idea of following Jesus is a bit challenging because perhaps we, we, we may have either gotten comfortable or we just kind of maybe thought we had it wired, and, and yet the last several weeks um, in talking with people, and even in my own life, there have been like, oh, wow, really? I've had those oh, really moments, and I don't know if you've had or no really moment, but I've had several of them, um, because it's, it's really been a series where we're letting Scripture strip away maybe some things that, layers that have been piled on over the years, and then when you strip it back and you just look at what Scripture says, you go, oh, wow, okay. Whew. And so we're going to continue that. We're going to continue that. And uh, we'll be in Luke 9, but before we get there, I, I came across this story. It's from a book called Not a Fan. The author is Kyle Eidelman. And he, he says this. He says, I saw a report on MSNBC about a group of new vegetarians. They interviewed one of the new vegetarians, a 28-year-old named Christy Pugh. One of her quotes captures the viewpoint of this group. She said, quote, I usually eat vegetarian, but I really like sausage. She represents a growing number of people who eat vegetarian, but make some exceptions. They don't eat meat unless they really like it. As you can imagine, the real vegetarians aren't real happy about the new vegetarians. They put pressure on the new vegetarians to change their name. And so here's the name they chose for themselves. Flexitarians. F-L-E-X-T-A-R-I-A-N-S. They're flexitarians. Christie explains it this way, quote, I really like vegetarian food, but I'm just not 100% committed. <laughs> honesty. Props for honesty, right? So I, I'm like, wow, okay. That's kind of like, uh, that's the new name for this series for the last eight weeks. Flexitarians. <laughs> Right? How many of us possibly, you know, Christian, 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 but I really like sausage. Right? And I don't know what your sausage is, but we would probably all have some kind of sausage that we really like. Right? And, and the challenging part for us in following Jesus, especially when he says things like this in Mark 8, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Right? And look at Luke 9. And you're there in your, um, in your Bible. Luke 9. Look at what he says in verse 23. 
Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever, whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Turn a few chapters to the right to Luke 14. Look what Jesus says again. Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Right? That word hate doesn't mean to proactively hate someone in anger. It just means loving Jesus so much preeminently that in comparison, it looks like you hate others just because you love Jesus so completely. That's, that's the point there. Right? So we read those passages, and you can go back to Luke 9 because that's where we're going to start. So we, go, we read those passages, and then we think about flexitarians. Right? Because we've seen from the very beginning that to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, right, to, to, uh, to take a, a, a phrase from, from poker, is an all-in moment, right? To follow Jesus is an all-in moment, and, and those verses pretty much, pretty much state that. If you're going to be my follower, you've got to love me more than any earthly relationship. Even your own life. You've got to take up your cross daily and follow me, right? In your notes there, I just put a couple of definitions, right? The word follow, it's a command that is continuous, habitual action. It's a new habit for living. Following Jesus is a process. Everyone say process. Not just an event. Very important, especially if... If you kind of grew up in the church in that season, nothing wrong with altar calls. Nothing wrong with having people make a, a, some sort of outward commitment to Jesus. Unfortunately, what happened, and I was involved in large churches that did a lot of evangelistic outreaches. I understand that. And we would have altar calls, and we would do counseling, and then we would have them fill out cards. One of the drawbacks to that, and one of the challenges that we knew coming into this, even the Nick event, if you went to the Nick event at the stadium, right? People come forward as a profession to follow Jesus and they, they might have a misunderstanding that that's all that was needed. It was an event. It was a one-off. So I guess now I'm a disciple because I went forward. That's kind of scary. That's, that's, that's a weighty responsibility. And, and, and you have to be very careful in those type of, of methodologies that people think they're coming to Jesus because they did something. Were you a Christian? Yeah, I went forward. Got to be real careful with that. Are you a Christian? Well, I said a prayer. Got to be real careful with that. And, and, and unfortunately, that confusion 
has kind of seeped out into the church. And now we come back to these scriptures of Jesus and they sound revolutionary. All of a sudden, that's where that challenge comes. Well, well, are those verses just for the Wednesday night really committed? No. Jesus is, is, is very upfront on the front end. He's not trying to bait and switch anyone with a, hey, come to me and your life is going to be hunky-dory and then two years down the road, hey, 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 and by the way, now I got gotcha. you. No. No. I was telling uh, Tyler and Bill this morning, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, there was a big movement called the church growth movement and a lot of mega churches and a lot of conferences. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wanting to reach out to the community. Nothing wrong with being strategic and all of that. But if you read these, these passages we just read, and if you look at how Jesus approached seekers, I don't think he would have got hired by the churches in America to be their outreach pastor. I, I, I think a lot of churches in America probably would politely say, not what we're looking for, Jesus. Because you know, we'll see in this passage, someone comes to Jesus and makes this hoorah statement, and it kind of appears that Jesus shoots them down. Right? And, and I love the fact that Jesus is so real and honest on the front end. He's not trying to sell us a bag of goods. He's not trying to convince you of anything. In fact, if anything, he's trying to be so realistic and so honest and truthful, the Bible calls it counting the cost, right? That you know with both eyes open what it is to be his disciple, what it is to be his disciple. And so in Luke 9, or actually look at, look at the word deny. So follow is a continuous action, right? Every day, daily. Luke says daily, right? Deny means to say no. It's a decisive action. It means to decide to do it and then what? Do it. To deny yourself is to give up the right to control your life and to give that right to Jesus Christ. Look at this definition. Self-denial means, quote, turning away from the idolatry of self-centeredness and every attempt to orient one's life by the dictates of self-interest. Woo! And Jesus says, if you want to be his disciple, you have to deny yourself. Wow. So we're to follow him daily. It's a habitual, continuous action. It's a choice. And then to deny is a decisive act. It's a decisive. It's a decision. Make a decision and do it. Right? I remember when I felt like I was being called to ministry 25, 26 years ago, I went to meet with a pastor at a church in San Diego. And, and I shared with him and I said all my options and I was just kind of pouring out my heart. And you know what he said to me? He said, if God is calling you to ministry, you have to drive a stake in the ground and then do it. There's a time for counsel. There's a time for prayer. There's a time to gather information. And then there's just a time to make a decision and do it. And do it. And for a lot of us, I believe in our following of Jesus and our desire to be transformed. It's not that you don't have a sincere desire to be Christ-like. It is not that at all. It's just that you need to do something. It's just time. 
It's just time to get very practical and just do something. And we're going to talk about that more. I don't know what that is in your life. I, got, I, I have to-dos in my own life that God is working on me. And, and, and that's transformation. When God puts a do-something moment and, and issue and you do something, that's great. And you take progress. And then here's the crazy thing. As you continue to walk with Jesus and He peels the layers back of self off of you and you make that decision to deny yourself, He just shows you more areas where He wants you to practically do things, which ultimately means submission. Just surrendering those areas to Him. It's not meant to be condemning. It's not meant to make you, you know, feel like a less than Christian. It's just meant to help you keep progressing to be more and more like Jesus. Amen? That's why He does that. That's why He does that. And so in Luke, right, we, we see this is a, it's, it's this action-packed chapter of Luke 9. In verses 10 through 17, He feeds 5,000 people, Right? In Luke 9, 18 through 20, Jesus confesses, uh, Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah, as Christ. 21 to 22, Jesus tells him what's going to happen to him when he goes to Jerusalem, right? Luke 9, 28 to 33, there's a transfiguration happens. Luke 9, 37 to 45, there's a supernatural healing of a boy with a spirit, right? So, action-packed chapter. Lots of great things happening. Lots and lots of great things happening. So we're going to pick up in Luke 9, starting in verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now remember, he had already said, this is what's going to happen to me in Jerusalem. It's not going to be pretty, right? And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. That's pretty crazy, right? So he's traveling, and there's a region of Samaria he has to go through. He wants to go through to get to Jerusalem. Jews and Samaritans don't get along. So he had sent his boys and said, hey, see if you can find a place for us to sleep. You know, it's a long journey to Jerusalem. In verse 52, it says, or verse 53, the people there did not welcome him because he was, they said, no, sorry, keep moving. No place for you here, Jesus. You and your boys need to keep moving. And then his disciples are like crazy. I mean, if you don't laugh when you read that, that's pretty funny. When the disciples said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire? I mean, come on, that's pretty funny, right? I mean, they said we can't sleep here. (laughs) That's pretty funny. I mean, the Bible's pretty funny. But Jesus turned and rebuked them, right? He's like, what are you, crazy? How's that going to go over? (laughs) And they went to another village, okay? As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Okay, we'll read that again. Verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, 
I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now what's interesting, in Matthew 8, same story is told, but it says this. In fact, let's go ahead and keep your finger here and then we'll go back to Matthew 8. Two books to your left. Matthew 8, 18. Matthew 8, 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What's important about this, in verse 19, it says, A teacher of the law. A teacher of the law, right? So you remember, we, we looked at this before, this, this was a highly educated, probably well-known, prominent person, right? Very familiar with the rabbi Talmud system. So here's this teacher of the law. It, on, 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 the, on the surface, it looks pretty good. Here's a teacher of the law who is telling Jesus, hey, I want to be one of your boys. Right? And imagine the potential headlines. Famous teacher, famous scribe follows Jesus. Right? I mean, kind of like this, you get this whole, you can get this whole push, this whole like, this is good, this is good, right? And he's he's like, you know, I want to follow you. And then he makes this claim, right? I will follow you, what? Wherever you go. Now, Giving him the benefit of the doubt, right? We saw in Luke 9, a lot had been happening. Miracles, feeding of the 5,000. He might have genuinely been excited. He might have genuinely been enthused. Like, what's up with this? Who is this guy? He just healed a boy. He just fed 5,000. This is awesome. I got to be part of that. I got to be part of that. So if we give him the benefit of the doubt, he comes up to Jesus in the midst of this crowd and just yells out, I'll go wherever you go. I'm in. I want to be one of your boys. And then Jesus, for whatever, some reason, he doesn't share that enthusiasm. Jesus doesn't go, well, come on then. Yeah! Sign this card. You know, put him in the chart. Tick. One more. Jesus doesn't kind of respond the way that maybe we would. Years past, I probably would have been like, Woo! Yes! I'm, come on! Let's go! Let's go! And kind of get hyped and soothed and yada yada, right? And all this excitement. Kind of like going to 1290 East Grand. Man, God's working in your church. You know, yeah, come on, let's go. Let's go to the well. Let's go, let's go. And there's a lot of excitement. Many of you are excited. I am excited. I'm excited, excited, excited. Bill is doing a phenomenal job. Amen? God is providing supernaturally. Supernaturally. And we're going to celebrate God's provision at the appropriate time. It is a miracle. Miracle. 
What's about what you and I are participating in? Not when we get there. We are participating in a miracle that is going to impact this valley long after we're all gone. Amen? Amen? We, we're not going to apologize. We are never going to apologize for investing in the kingdom of God. Not going to apologize that people are going to get saved. Not going to apologize that marriages are going to be healed. Not going to apologize that people are going to get set free from addiction. Not going to apologize for any miracle that Jesus is going to do in and through that. Amen? We're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate that. We're not going to apologize to anybody. Because people matter. You matter. But we have to temper our enthusiasm with Jesus' realism. And that's what Jesus does. He kind of, okay, okay. And look at his response here. Look at his response. Because Jesus is a realist. Jesus is a realist. Look what he says. Verse, uh, I'm back in Luke 9, 58. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Wow, Jesus, you just kind of ruined the moment, didn't you? That doesn't sound very pleasant at all. I just said that I was willing to, to serve on Good Friday. I just was willing to step up and do a lot for you, Jesus. Why are you being such a bummer? You know, where, where's the rah-rah sis right? In John 2, you don't have to turn there. John 2, verse 23 through 25, it says this. Now, while he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. Verse 24. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. First Samuel 16, 7 says, man looks out the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So, a lot of wonderful things happening, a lot of excitement, enthusiasm, crowds around Jesus. This man makes this declaration, and Jesus is looking at his heart. Jesus is looking at his heart. Kind of like the rich young ruler. Very similar to the rich young ruler. Jesus looks at this man's heart, and his response is a response based on this man's heart. This man's heart, right? I will follow you wherever you go. Right? So as a teacher of the law, he was used to rabbis and their disciples traveling around from city to city. So his focus was on the traveling. Wherever you go, hey, I want to be a part of this. This is kind of cool. You're doing, you're doing some great things. Can I accompany you? Can I go with you? I want to see more. I want to see more. Or I want to be associated with you. Right? There's a, there's, the motive may be really more about him and what he's going to get. And on his terms. I will follow you wherever you go. And how do you know that? Because Jesus, again, with his, with his answer just penetrates the heart. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man 
has no place to lay his head. You see, this, this teacher was focused on, hey, where are you going? I want to go there. And Jesus was like, um, I'm more focused on your willingness to leave certain things. See, when he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You remember what happened in verse, 30, uh, verse 53 in Samaria? They said, sorry, no room. Keep moving. So this teacher of the law makes this grand and, and, and maybe heartfelt, enthusiastic proclamation. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, to homelessness? You want to sleep on a rock? Are you sure? See, in his exuberance and in his, even his upbringing, Jesus goes right past all of that to the heart. Um, hey, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has what? No place to lay his head. It's really a heartfelt challenge for all of us. When he says, hey, are you really willing to leave your comfort, your security, your home, and come follow me? And that might mean we're sleeping out under the stars. It's not going to be comfortable. Not going to be comfortable. I can't guarantee necessarily your physical safety because there's some bad guys out there. We're not going to, we're not making reservations at the Four Seasons and the Ojai Valley Inn. It's not one of those pre, pre-planned tour trips that we're going on here. We're going to just kind of go as my father leads me and there's going to be persecution. And in fact, where we're heading to Jerusalem, it's going to get really bad. Want to come? I'll follow you wherever. Right? And, and so the question for us, are we? Are we at the place where, okay, okay, wherever, wherever, right? And the title of the message today is, What About There? Right, Because the teacher of the law had said, I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever. And so Jesus' response touches them at comfort and security and, and familiarity, right? And Jesus was like, well, what about there? Will you follow me there to discomfort? Will you follow me there to persecution? Will you follow me there to possibly giving up your life? Will you follow me there? See, there was much underneath what the teacher of the law wasn't saying. And kind of what he, what he wasn't saying and what we all have, what I have, is fine print. Do you have fine print? Because I, I got fine print. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever. But I got my little fine print. Exclusions. Fine, fine print. Right? 
And you make progress and, and you're, you're moving with Jesus. And then finally he goes like, oh, good, good, good. Hey, what's this fine print down here? Oh, you found it. What about there? Are you, what about there, Richie? What's your fine print? What's my, what's my fine print? See, saying yes to Jesus and following Jesus means saying no to self. Now, we speak of that kind of, Bill likes to say, we speak of that at 50,000 feet. It's kind of an aviation way broad. Say yes to Jesus means, means, means saying no to self. Amen? Amen, brother? What about there? <laughs> what about your money? What about your marriage? What about the use of your time? What about work? What about honesty and integrity? You go from 5,000 and you come in for a hard landing. And then Jesus says, what about there? What about there? Are you willing to, to follow me there? So the teacher of the law came. And, and what's interesting, the Bible doesn't say what happened. We're sort of left hanging. And we're left hanging, I believe, because... The, the point is that Jesus is asking us that same question. What about there? Is there something in your life, something in my life, fine print, that, here's the thing. I have learned, because we said that coming to Jesus is not just an event, it's a process, amen? So let me, let me give you words of encouragement. If you realize this morning that you're there, if, if you're sitting here this morning and <sighs> there's a there moment for you, I want to encourage you. I'm there too. And, and, it's just part of our growth and part of our relationship with Jesus, even in the midst of the good. I'll tell you, this, this, uh, this celebration of our move, as great as it's been and as much as I celebrate what God is doing, through this, in my own life, He has peeled back layers. And I'm like, are you kidding me? There? There? And He's like, what about there? And what about there? And it's been challenging. It's been challenging. You know, there, there's a lot involved in that. And a lot that I've had to process personally and, and the specific role that I have here and, and the things that I uh, have to work through pastorally and personally. And, and it's challenging. It's challenging. And, and these verses about dying to yourself and and being all in for Jesus, you know. I get kind of wild and crazy about here and I get real exuberant because, because I believe it with all my heart. But I'm just like you and i got to walk this. And i got to live in this valley. And I know what people say. And so, in my own life, I am in a what about there with Jesus 
in a lot of different areas. So it's not meant to be condemning. It's not to, I know it's challenging. I know it's challenging because, because many of us sincerely, sincerely, sincerely desire to follow Jesus. Amen? You do. I don't doubt you for one second that that's not your desire. The challenging part is when it gets real. Because what is one of the, the number one ways that people, how they cope with fear is avoidance. One of the, the, the major ways, one of the primary ways you and I deal with, cope with things that scare us is to avoid it. So even in our spiritual walk, when, when Jesus says, what about there? What about there? We have this huge desire to, to address the there, but we're terrified. We are just straight out terrified. I'm terrified. I'm terrified of what people are going to think if I go there. I'm terrified of what's going to happen if I go there. I'm terrified of letting go of what I know when I go there. And so, because I'm like you, if that scares me, what do I do? Oh man, I got to study for a sermon. I'm too busy to deal with there. We're real good. We're real good at avoiding stuff. Even hiding behind good stuff. I know. So is there a there? Is Jesus this morning saying, what about there? What about there? Right? I know in the big picture our heart as a church is to be followers of Jesus. We do. That's our passion. And then we leave here and go, ready, break. And he's like, what about there? What about there and there and there and there? That's why we're together in this. See, if you're there and you're simply at the point of, ooh, yeah, okay, I'm like way nervous right now, maybe a little even terrified, but I'm there. I acknowledge that I'm there. You know what you can do? One of the first steps, tell someone you're there. Speak the there. And have someone come alongside you to help you biblically work out the there. Amen? That's what you need to do. When the Word of God reveals something to your heart and your life and he says what about there you're going to get emotionally you're going to have a reaction you're going to be terrified you might be angry you might be confused you might feel like whoa 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 why are you so condemning you know you might get defensive all that stuff you might have just human sinful reaction fleshly reactions work through that and then maybe the first step is call someone we'd love to talk with you here and say hey you know what I'm there. I'm there. I'm at the end of myself in this area. I've been avoiding it. I've been justifying it. I've been excusing it. And it's just time. I'm there. That's the starting point. And it's a process. It's a process. It's a choice. It's a decision. One day at a time. One day at a time. So if Jesus is asking you, what about there? Maybe today the first answer is, 
I admit I'm there. You, You found the fine print. I tried to hide it in invisible ink with lemon juice, but you found it, didn't you? You found it. That's good. That's what you want. That's what you want. The pastor of that book sent out an email to some of his friends asking them to complete this. He said, saying yes to the following, to following Jesus. Saying yes to following Jesus meant no to saying to. And here's where some of his responses, okay? Saying yes to following Jesus meant saying no, okay? And they, he asked for their response to this. First one. Saying yes to following Jesus meant saying no to my kids growing up in a comfortable home in America from my friends who are missionaries in Africa. Saying yes to following Jesus meant saying no to hanging out at the club with my friends I grew up with. Saying yes to following Jesus meant saying no to continuing to live with my boyfriend. Saying yes to following Jesus meant saying no to retiring and moving to the home I was having built in Florida. Saying yes to following Jesus meant saying no to raising my children near their grandparents. Saying yes to following Jesus meant saying no to a quiet life of privacy. Then he says this, as I read through the responses, I realized that in one way or the other, everyone was really saying the same thing. Saying yes to following Jesus meant saying no to comfort. See, Jesus says, you want to come after me? I got to be it. You got to be all in. And these people, they got to that place of being there. And, and I don't know how long they wrestled with those decisions, but those are real life decisions with real life implications. Saying yes to Jesus meant saying no to other things. But here's the thing. When you say yes to Jesus, that's the best. Amen? Because Jesus says, I came to give you life and life abundantly. See? Saying yes to Jesus, and when, I, when we say saying yes to Jesus means saying no to something, in our flesh, we focus on the no. Oh, gosh. Saying, I said yes to Jesus, now I have no friends. Now I have no life. Now everyone hates me. I mean, that's just, there's this weird stereotype of, of Christians. We're, we're like the no-lifers. We have no life. Say yes to Jesus and have no life. When you say yes to Jesus, you get a new life. Amen? When you say yes to Jesus, you get a new family. Turn to the person, smile to you and say, hey brother, hey sister, go ahead. Right? When you say yes to Jesus, He gives you everything you need for life and godliness. Amen? When you say yes to Jesus, your name is written in heaven. Amen? We've got to be real careful that we're not focusing on all the no and focus on what comes with the yes. Amen? Scott. How long have you been married? Forty some odd years. I won't ask you the date, just come on help you. 
Scott, way back, 40 some odd years, you wanted to marry Susan. I'm going to try to help you out here. Was that a joyful decision? Okay. (laughs) Did you enter into that covenant with Susan joyfully, willingly, looking forward to what that new relationship was going to bring? Or did you come kicking and screaming, having to be ripped away from bachelorhood? Which one was it? It was the first one. (laughs) So you're saying in front of all these witnesses, when you chose, To enter into covenant with your beautiful bride. You did it joyfully. You looked forward to all the wonderful years of bliss together. And and you embraced the future. Versus your your claws having to be torn away from bachelorhood. And hanging out with the boys. And what you were doing with the boys. And all being a a bachelor. Is that correct? (laughs) It better be all right. Do you see? He entered into a covenant of marriage and it was a joyful thing. And he willingly let go of the life he had as single Scott for the benefit and the joy of what he was going to enjoy in covenant with his bride. Amen? That's a relationship with Jesus. You say yes to Jesus. You enter into a covenant with Him. You follow Him with your whole being. And suddenly all that you're saying no to is just an afterthought. How many of you right here can honestly give testimony that you say no, you have no desire to do what you used to do and you don't even care about it anymore? The old, the old habits, the old anything. Anyone? Got something you used to do and right now you, you, don't, you don't give a rip about it. You don't even care, right? You're not like, oh, I wish I could. I wish I could. How many of you just don't care about it anymore and have joyfully and you're glad it's gone? Saying yes to Jesus changed you, didn't it? Celebrate that. Celebrate that. And so when he, you bring that forward now. Bring that forward now because today he might be saying, what about there? And what about there? And it's the relationship you've developed with him in the past that will give you the foundation to to move forward in this area. And all the fears and anxieties and all the resistance you have even though you've been walking with Jesus, remember the times that He changed your heart. Remember the times that He took that old desire away and made you a new creation, gave you new desires. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight in Him. If you delight in the Lord, He's going to change your desires. And ultimately, He's going to change your desire to desire Him. It's crazy. Delight yourself in the Lord. He's going to want you to desire Him. As you desire Him, you're going to want what He wants. And the things of the world and the things of the flesh suddenly lose their strength and their power. Because you're focused on Him and where you're going. Amen? I'm going to invite Robert and Susan to come up. We're going to sing a familiar song, but I'm hoping it's not familiar. And I'm hoping it's a prayer. Because for some, even for me, Jesus asks, what about there? And that's a deeply personal question. That's a deeply uncomfortable question, even scary question, because it 
It takes you to your life when you leave here. It takes you to home. It takes you to work. It takes you to relationships. It takes you to your habits. It takes you to your whole, your whole being. And so they're going to play, and we get a chance to sing, I Surrender All. And my prayer for us before we take communion is that it's a prayer. It's a prayer. And if your heart's beating a little bit and, and you're having a there moment, maybe for you it's just to go, Jesus, I'm just going to, I acknowledge I'm there. Not sure what to do right now, but I acknowledge I'm there. And, and Jesus, I want to just sing this song. I may just want to listen to this song. Because I do want to follow you. And I know it's all about surrender. So shall we go ahead and bring down the screen? <coughs> Lord, thank you for loving us so much that you would ask us, what about there? What about there? This room is filled with brothers and sisters that do love you. We do. But Lord, you know our frailties. You know we're works in progress. And so, in, in honesty and transparency, this very moment, we're there. We're there. And so we sing this song and we listen to this song and the words of it and and it's our prayer, Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, outside of anything we can do on our own strength, that we would surrender. We would surrender and yield and trust You with wherever we are, whatever the there is that you have shown us this morning. Lord, as we as we prepare for communion, we are reminded of your example, Jesus. Once again, in the garden, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You had a there moment in the garden. You were struggling. You asked your father if there was any way that the cup could pass from you. And then, and then you yielded. And you said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so in this time of communion, we'll distribute the cups and we'll just have a time of prayer and, and maybe a time of prayer and confession and just remembrance of Jesus' example of surrender, of Jesus' example of when He had that what about their moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, how He responded in obedience and trust. So we'll distribute the, uh, the communion cups and then we'll take communion together. 1 Corinthians 11:23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I am taking. Band, you guys can come on up. On the back of your notes, I put some uh, real practical questions, real practical things that, that you can take home and pray over and, and make application to your life in response to what about there. And a couple of, couple of helps. A couple of helps. If you're there... One of the challenges for you and I when we, when we get to these places of being there is pride. It's just pride. And, and I want to encourage you, we're all works in progress. Amen? Amen. Right? Turn to the person in, next to you and say, he's not done with me yet. Just, he's, he's not done with me yet. All right? All right? So, right? And like everyone's happy all of a sudden. Woo! Right? Woo! My goodness, right? Because in the church we get all like, woo, 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 you know? No, we're all works in progress till we go home, amen? So we can have, just, it's just, it's, we just humble ourselves. Just humble yourselves. Find a brother and sister or sister in the Lord that you really trust, that you know, you believe loves you and that you can just pour your heart and just say, you know what? I'm there. Here's what's going on. Here's what I've been avoiding. Here's what I've been so scared. You know, what's the gorilla behind the door? Here, there it is. I'm gonna, for the first time in my life, I'm going to say it. And I'll be very honest with you. In my walk with the Lord, I have discovered that sometimes these there moments, uh, how can I say this right? Sometimes these there moments touch on emotion and, and are very challenging because they were part of my before Jesus days. And I just want to forget that stuff. And I thought that when I became a, a Christian, I didn't have to deal with the before Jesus stuff. And some of the challenges for me in my there moments is that a lot of the emotion and a lot of the, the, the habits and a lot of the thought processes that, that I get confronted with as a new believer, as a, as a new Christian, as a new creation, I'm shackled to my past. And that's what Jesus is trying to work and set me free from. Things come up and I respond as if I'm 12. <laughs> and some of you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I go right back. And, 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 and it's very challenging for me to stay and to admit that I'm not processing it and who I am in Christ today. And, and, and that's my there process is to acknowledge a situation that's been exposed and revealed by the Lord acknowledge that I'm responding like I used to and then stay in there long enough to get help and counsel and scripture to help me begin to process it in who I am in Christ today. Amen? That's what takes a long time. It's to stay there. So I encourage you with that. It, it, it's a process. It's a process. It also has to do with how we view the Lord. Okay, real quick. Jesus is, is Lord and, and not a consultant. 
right? And this is what I mean by that. There's a quote by Larry Osborne. He says, Now a consultant is someone whose wisdom we highly value and listen to, but at the end of the day, we make the final decision. That's why they're called consultants. Here's the problem. God doesn't do consulting. Never has, never will. He does God. When we treat him as a consultant, he simply stops showing up for the meetings. Okay? So, so we got to be careful with our words. We just don't consult Scripture. We listen to Scripture. We trust Scripture. God is God. He's not our consultant. And, and, and that can help some of us, too, to, to get through these there moments. Through these there moments. And it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. It's challenging. It, it, it can be gut-wrenching. It can be terrifying. But at the same time, it's exhilarating. And I encourage you, hang in there. Hang in there, right? How many of you, how many of these 40 years have just been 43? Thank you. You had to Google that, huh? You Googled that while we weren't looking. There it is. Has it been 43 completely blissful, perfect years? Honesty and humility right here. But you've grown and you've matured together. And I would bet after 43 years of ups and downs, you are more deeper in love and you have a greater and more mature love for each other than you did 43 years ago. That's our relationship with Jesus. That's our relationship with Jesus. We walk with Him. We hit the valleys with Him. We celebrate the peaks with Him. And all these years later, we'll look back and we have grown with Him. Deeper and more mature. So it's a good thing. Amen?